Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Chris Townsend with you here for another edition of A's Unfiltered. And wow, what a wild road trip it has been. Three-city road trip from Anaheim to Texas and now to Tampa, which is really St. Petersburg. As the A's took two out of three from the Angels, they split a four-game set with the Rangers. And as I'm taping this, this is Monday, and we're going to be starting a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays here in St. Petersburg. I joined the team in Anaheim. It's been wild. So because the Angels do not like playing day games during the week, they make you play at night on getaway day. So we did not arrive in Texas until after 5 a.m. We didn't get into our rooms until around 6 a.m. Had a game that Friday night. Had to turn around quickly the next day and had a day-night doubleheader, which just was like the longest day ever, including the second game didn't start till 8 o'clock at night, and it started late because they went late with the Adrian Beltre celebration as they retired his number there, the future Hall of Famer. And then on Sunday, so basically whatever it was, four games in 36 hours. So Sunday... They have some awful storms in and around the Dallas area. We actually have a rain delay, but it was much worse all around us as there was the crane that fell on that parking garage. I think the last time I checked, there was one person who lost their life and there was X amount of people injured. My buddy runs golf courses north in Plano. He runs three. A tornado ripped through one of their golf courses. Absolutely crazy weather. And then for our plane that we charter. So the steps that lead up to the plane were by the plane and the wind blew it into the wing and damaged the plane. So when our game was over, we found out, oh, we're not taking off right away. We had to sit around for hours and we didn't take off to like 10, so like 10.30 at night or whatever it is, fly here to St. Petersburg and you're losing an hour going from the central time zone to the eastern time zone. And I don't think I got into my room until like four something uh, earlier this morning. So it has been a wild, wild time traveling wise and the amount of games we've played and the amount of time that we have been on the road. But you got to suck it up and it's big league baseball. All right. The first interview I want to play for you is Tim Mead. 
longtime vice president of communications for the Los Angeles Angels. At one point was a an assistant general manager. He's been with the Angels his entire career, but now he has taken a job as the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And when we were in Anaheim, I got to see him. It was basically his last day walking around telling everybody goodbye. It, it was pretty crazy. When you've been in an organization over 40 years, and now you're going to take on a new adventure. But what an adventure it is. So before I went down to Anaheim, we got him on the phone, and we had him on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Here is the new president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, Tim Mead. Tim, how are you? Good, guys. I'll tell you what, I, I, I love the first intro. I'm sorry we had to get cut short there. Yeah, well, you know, I, when I saw you, you've been great to us over the years. It's going to be sad to see you leave the Angels after all these years. But to become the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, what was that process like? Because what a responsibility this job is. Well, I, I tell you, I, I, I would like to sit here and say it was a, a long, drawn-out process, but it kind of came together very quickly. In essence, Jeff Idelson has been a friend of mine for 30-plus years, and Jeff came out to spring training to, to conduct some business and pulled me aside and, and just asked me if, if I would be interested, uh, that I would be you know, his choice and recommendation to Jane Forbes Clark. And we had a good talk. Um, I thought about it for about six, seven days and hemmed and hawed and, and just realized I have a new grandson, my family, and this is my second family here with the Angels. And I just called him back and said, I, I, Jeff, I just can't, I can't do it. Um, as hard a decision as it was, and it was a very emotional decision to turn it down. Um, and then two days later, I, I received a text from, from, Jane Forbes Clark and gave her a call and she said that, uh, you know, I appreciate the consideration and just asked if there was a, a slight opening in my mind for a conversation. And I said, certainly. So, you know, cutting to the chase, I flew to Fort Lauderdale and Wellington and met with her for two and a half hours. And then on the way, uh, just catching my return flight, I was at the airport and I called her because my sentiment was that I was there going there just to allow her to, to determine whether I would be a candidate for the interview process. And I, I asked her the question, if, if, uh, you know, if, if my family is in agreement with this, when would it start? And she said, well, I've called the members of the, uh, you know, the selection committee and told them I'm offering you the job. So it's yours if you want it. Wow. Powerful stuff. And the baseball hall of fame means so much to, to us baseball fans. And for me and my family personally, after my grandfather's career, we have a lot of stuff of my grandfather's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've been very fortunate to go down below into the bowels of the Hall of Fame and see how they store everything. And, you know, it, it, this is how our game is protected and the history of our game is protected. That has to excite you so much that you're going to be the curator of this wonderful museum. Well, I, I think it's and I appreciate that, but I, I'm looking at it as for the last 40 years, I've been part of a team. Um, year in and year out, and things change. I'm going to Cooperstown to join a tremendous team that's in place already. Jeff certainly did a, a fantastic job during his tenure, and and the the folks that preceded him did as well. I'm going there with eyes wide open and ears wide open to learn. Um, I, I understand the responsibility, and there's going to be a lot of different aspects of it. Uh, but ultimately, as I've said many times, that, that we live our lives very much in the present. And, you know, with our eyes a little bit on the future. But but now I have an opportunity to go back and live in the past a little bit 
And I think uh, somebody des- described it today. It's a it's a romantic place to be, uh, knowing the responsibility to protect history. The, the history, you know, baseball represents so much of our society. So I, I look at it as not just the world of baseball, but but really a lot of uh, Americana as well. You have done so much work with the Angels over the years, and you've had multiple roles, and you've been with them for forty years. What do you think is going to be the toughest thing for you leaving what is a great organization? The day I uh, the day I walk out the door and uh, have a check behind me for the last time, you know, I've described it as right now I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of the children of the Angels. When I come back, I'll probably be one of the cousins. But I, you know, I, I think the hardest thing will be leaving the people because that's that's inclusive of ushers and the house cleaners and the ticket takers and the parking lot attendants as much as it is Mike Trout, Albert Pools, Shoei Otani, Cole Calhoun. And I, I really do mean that. I, I, I look at everybody as very, very similar. We have different responsibilities and status, but at the end of the day, we're just, uh, we're all people. And I've been blessed to be around some very, very good people. What also is interesting about this job is the transition of moving and I guess I know a lot about Orange County and I know a lot about Cooperstown, New York. You couldn't find two places totally different. What do you think that's going to be like for you? Well, I will tell you, out of out of all the emails and texts and messages that I received, it was, hey, congratulations, but what about the weather? And uh, I would tell you that uh, my winter wardrobe for Southern California um, probably will work in August in Cooperstown, but uh, I'll be doing some shopping. and. You know, everybody generally tries to come east to west if they're going to semi, uh, you know, slow down. It's going to be a challenge, and you know, it's going to be a it's a a welcomed opportunity. And uh, I'm looking forward to. You know, my wife is just retired as a school teacher, so she's going to be coming out for pockets at a time, and and I'm going to try to come back to California as frequently as I can. So, you know, for whatever cold spells I go through, I'll warm up occasionally uh, throughout the winter. Well, you, you've been a class act, and you've been good to all of us in Major League Baseball over the years. Congratulations on this wonderful opportunity, and actually I'll see you on uh, Thursday, the last game of this three-game set. But thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward to it, and, and thank you guys for all you do for the game as well. What an honor it is for Tim to take over as the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I can tell you, as someone who's been there three times, and if you're a baseball fan, and I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you are a big baseball fan, it'll be one of the highlights of your life. And I'm not, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not fooling you. It, it is an amazing an experience when you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and you get to see all the history. You get to see history that the A's have made. You get to see the history that the other 29 teams have made, and it goes way back earlier than 1900. And the town, it's I call it like a little mini Tahoe because it's right on a lake and it's a bunch of bed and breakfasts and it's just one long street of nothing but shops, stores, baseball. And at the very end of the street is the Baseball Hall of Fame. I, I recommend going any time of the year. The two times I would go that I'd highly recommend is in the fall when it's so beautiful in the Northeast and the leaves are turning and the leaves are just electric and it's just beautiful and it's not as crowded. You know, I've been, when I went in the fall, there was, you know, we walked through the hall with no problem. It wasn't packed at all. Easy to get, easy to get the bed and breakfast, easy to get all that. 
And then I think an induction ceremony is also a an experience that you will never forget. The induction ceremony, because all the old Hall of Famers are there. I mean, they're walking around town. I, I My brother, my two buddies one year, we went in 1999. We actually bumped into Tom Seaver on the street, like literally bumped into him. Oh, Tom, how are you? <laughs> I mean, they're everywhere. The Hall of Famers are everywhere. So if you ever get an opportunity... I highly recommend the experience because it's an experience of a lifetime, the Baseball Hall of Fame. So when I was in Texas, C.J. Nikowski, who does a terrific job, he does color for Texas uh, on the Texas broadcast, and he also does Sirius XM radio. He's just really good at his baseball analysis. So we had him come over and, once again, on A's Cast Live – and talked about so many different things in baseball. And kind of the hot thing lately we've been talking about uh, probably more than ever is the openers. More and more teams are using the opener. And I think we're going to see the opener twice while we're here against the Rays. So here is C.J. Nikowski, former Major League Baseball pitcher and now color analyst for the Texas Rangers. C.J. Nikowski, I think all the other front offices have these numbers. <laughs> They certainly do. And as we looked at Kimbrell as a traditional standpoint Mm -hmm. of one of the best closers we've ever seen, what he has done from the All-Star break to the end of the year and struggled in the World Series, Keiko the same way, I think now we know why these guys didn't get what they wanted to get. We appreciate you stopping by, obviously working for the Texas Rangers. How are you? I'm doing well. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It was a long offseason, and it just kept dribbling into this season as far as that story. Once we got past Machado and Keuchel, or uh, Machado and Harper and the things that had to happen this offseason, you're absolutely right. And the other part of that, of course, is just as teams get a little further away from, uh, I don't want to say older players, because I hate to say that a guy in his early 30s or even 30s considered old, but that changed. I just I had a hard time believing that the draft pick compensation made such a difference. I, I didn't get that part. For a team like the Braves, who had a need for both of those guys, they had two, they have two, had two first-round picks this year. Because they didn't sign their first-round pick last year, Caleb Stewart. So I think they had nine in like 26. I'm like, you're worried about giving up the 75th pick? Even though, yeah, there's some things going on there with with Keuchel and Kimbrell that you could poke some holes in and say maybe their value isn't what we thought it should be, or at least what they thought it should be, what their agents thought it should be. I do think that those rumors of uh, Craig Kimbrell coming out and thinking $100 million this offseason and wanting to set a closer record really slowed his market down. And when you look at AAV – and we have Wade Davis, who's got the highest AAV. Look at the biggest contract, or all this Chapman has it. And because of some of those things that you were bringing up and some of the reality of what's happened the last couple of years, not even since the All-Star break, but if you look at, at Kimbrell's walk rate, two of the last three years. Two years ago was phenomenal. I want to say it was 1-8. But the year before that, uh, I believe it was in the fives. Last year it was in the fours. That scares you a little bit. And for the Cubs, they already have an issue with their bullpen walking too many guys. So that is absolutely something to keep an eye on. Uh, going forward but yeah that was that was that was a legitimate issue and I think um, teams understand trends and they certainly get a little bit concerned as guys get older and they're trending in that wrong direction one trend that I really like and we saw a lot of it this season from when the Red Sox won the World Series to where we are today it's still something like 37 38 contract extensions for players Mm -hmm. because we were so worried talking about the CBAs coming up. Are we going to have labor strife for the first time since 94 with so many of the young stars and great players in the game inked up already to contracts. Why would anyone want labor stoppage right now? It's a really smart play, I think. And and the fact that it happened 
not that I'm not accusing collusion, but the idea that it all happened kind of around the same time and it was a trend, a heavy one among multiple teams. You have a really hard time taking a 25-year-old kid who just signed anywhere from an 80 to $120 million extension and someone coming to them when they're older and saying, hey, we have, there's a problem. There's a problem we need to address, especially when there's so many of those guys in the Major League Baseball Players Association led by Tony Clark, former uh, teammate of mine, my first roommate ever in the big leagues. He's got his hands full trying to trying to sell that right now to players and the idea that um, there's some real problems going on. I know the older guys are frustrated. I think Mike Moustakis has kind of been one of our poster boys for this situation. I think even MLB Trade Rumors is so good at what they do. Had him projected in the mid-80s for his contract. I want to say, excuse me, they had him for five and maybe 85 two years ago. And he's signing these short-term deals that are nowhere near the value. He ended up turning down that qualifying offer two years ago. It cost him, I think, about $12 million because he did it. Um, Logan Morrison hitting 38 home runs and getting, what, 4 or $5 million the next year. And so those are the guys that the union's really worried about right now. But if you tell all these young studs with these monster contracts that, hey, we got to do something about those older guys, they understand what's going on with the game. And I think we have one generation that we have to get through, that the one that's here right now, the one that's still kind of battling those in-between guys with the trends in the game, the data in the game, the ones that are still pushing back. Once we get through this one generation, uh, I think this one coming up is, is they're going to be about something completely different. Uh, they're not going to, not that they're not going to care, uh, but they're like, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and take my hundred million now while I'm 24 years old and not try to go year to year and get that Max Scherzer or David Price $200 million contract because what they've realized is those probably aren't there anymore uh, for 31 year old free agents. I bra- I'm glad you brought up Tony because it's been very tough. I actually grew up with him, playing on some all star <laughs> oh, teams. Nice. Played on some all star teams with him back in the day in San Diego. And you know, you, you want that max value for, for your free agents, but, you know, the free agents of yesteryear didn't care about the young players. Yeah, you want to do arbitration, you want to do all of that. Mm-hmm. They want to get theirs in their 30s yeah. and late 20s. But now the game wants all young players. Our greatest players in the game are 30 and younger. Sure. They're getting rewarded, and it's funny how the media will be like, oh, my God, he only got $105 million. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy got $105 million, He's going to have a chance to make more at the end of that extension. Sure. Yep, without a doubt, there's still some time left. And I think some of these guys realize this. So, you know, once you start to get to the four plus, like that's the part where it used to be, why would you sign a deal when you're a year away from free agency? Chris Sale, Nolan Arenado. No, they did it, right? That, they, the owners did a great job of changing that game. Now, those deals were a little bit more right in the 150 uh, range in that area. Uh, but these guys, um, they understand what's going on. The idea of the couple of guys that I just mentioned and some others, I mean, Adam Jones this past offseason, and I know you could dig in to Adam Jones's numbers and you could poke some holes in on-base percentage or the defensive run saved. And is he a center fielder anymore at the big league level? Uh, he's a good personality for the game. Uh, and he's a good guy, and he's been a good player, but I think that he's a good example of a guy that he gets in his early 30s. You start to go, you know, I want to say south, that maybe a little bit too strong, but you start to see some decline. Now he goes to Arizona and gets off to a really nice start, but that that group of guys, these younger guys are seeing that, and like, nope, I don't want to be that guy. So, yeah, there may be some opportunities to get, make more money at the end, but they start getting to three, four, or five years. They're not like, oh, you know what, I'm close. I'll just go ahead and ride it out to free agency. They don't want to do it anymore uh, because there have been some really cautionary tales of guys before them. So I'm busting out on the broadcast today, my my, my preview magazine from the start oh, of the nice. year yeah. with the Texas Rangers. Uh-oh. That's good news, I guess. That's, um, I think they exceeded expectations so yeah, far. Yeah, they're, they're predicted fifth in the AL West. <laughs> What's going on here in Texas? So it's been a really good year. Obviously, uh, Chris Woodward, new manager, takes over, handful of new coaches. And uh, I think we're all – I don't know if we all are. I know I am, just in general. We get really tired of hearing the word process. 
we got so we have to use some different words, but it, it, that is what's going on. They have a plan in place and they have an idea. They have, and I don't just say this as I work here because I say when I do MLB Network Radio, and yes, we always lean toward the team, but we, you know we got to keep our integrity intact as well. They have an unbelievable uh, coaching staff here, especially on the hitting side with Luis Ortiz and Calix Crab. They're doing some pretty special things and they're getting results. Now, not from everybody. Rugnet Odor struggling a little bit. He's had a little bit of a hard time, but Joey Gallo's been the story here, even though he's on the IL right now. And guys have bought into not just the data that they're feeding them, because you do have to sell a guy completely everything. Now, it's not just, hey, we want you to do this, because there's more guys that are intuitive and they're asking questions. Well, tell me why. Well, Joey, listen, at top of the zone, especially in and out, let's look at your exit velocities the last couple of years. These, even though they look good and you swing at that pitch a lot, that's not your best pitch. That's one you need to stay off of. And if you can stay off of it, guys are going to have to start throwing you in the zone a little bit more. And when they bring it in the zone, now look what you do. And then they show the damage. And so how do we get there? What can we do mechanically? What can we do sequencing? What about timing-wise? It's a real individual path for each guy. Now, he's been the poster boy for it because he's made such dramatic improvements. Uh, but this is the these are the kind of things that are going on right now. The same thing is happening uh, on the pitching side as well. And so they didn't spend money really this offseason. They brought in Hunter Pence. That worked out really well. They brought in Logan Forsythe. You know, some, some lower-risk minor league deal guys that are contributing uh, in a big way. But they're also changing that culture a little bit. Not that it was bad here under Jeff Bannister. He did a nice job. But there was something that uh, they wanted to see change and kind of a new voice. And they're getting uh, a new voice right now that's really focusing on a lot. Not just analytics. I know we throw that around. So oh, analytics, yeah. it's not – it's not just that. There's a lot that goes into what they're trying to teach and, and the reasons behind it. And this group here has some pretty new ideas as far as how they teach, and they're getting some early results. Again, not from everybody, but they're getting some some real positive ones. Yeah, with our fan base, you know, we're all in. Yeah. Moneyball, we're yeah. all in. But, but what we've been trying to do for the fan base is, and David Force, our general manager, we do the weekly show, is like, Back in the Moneyball days, those were math equations. Yeah. Take this and times it by that and divide it by this, and you get this number, and that's why this player is good. Mm-hmm. Now it's about science. It's StatCast, yeah. TrackMan, Rapsado with your radar and these high-tech cameras. Mm-hmm. And we're, that's how we're finding out spin rates and spin yeah. efficiency and launch angles. And the guy that I think who's benefited the most from it around here I did. I did one of his last interviews leave, leaving San Francisco. It was really tough for him, Hunter Pence. Yeah. And 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 I like him as a guy. He's a hell of a guy. Yep. He was terrible. He yeah. basically could not hit. And when I keep seeing, I keep looking at the, at my app, going, Hunter Pence is hitting home runs. Hunter <laughs> Pence is. Hunter Pence was done. Yeah. Yeah. Has he turned it around? Yeah. So a couple of different things that are going on. And first of all, maybe a renewed energy. Uh, you know, knowing that you go get to that breaking point sometimes, right? Where you're like, all right, maybe I do need to kind of dig in and see what's going on. Do I need to reinvent myself? Am I done? You never, there's not too many guys that look themselves in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm done. Usually the game has to push you out, right? There's, I mean, some of the best that have ever put the uniform on have had to be pushed out of the game because they love it so much. Doesn't matter how much money you made. Obviously Hunter has been very successful and he still wanted to play. So he was the winter ball before he signed with the Rangers, right? So that right there, uh, what's he, I guess you should know this. He's 36 or 37, how old he is, right? He's in his yeah. upper thirties and he decides he's going to go to winter ball. I believe it was 36. So he goes to winter ball as a 36-year-old. And that, I mean, that tells a story to teams. Say, this guy's serious, right? You banked nine figures in your career, and you're going to winter ball uh, in, your, in, your, you know, in your mid to upper 30s at 36. And so he wanted to work on some things. And he had a little bit of time down there. Then he gets um, Luis Ortiz and Calix Crab digging in uh, just a little bit more. And you're, you're going to watch him. Like, yeah, that looks like the same Hunter Pence to me. Uh, elbows and arms and stuff flying all over the place and playing with a flare. Um, 
but there's definitely been some some major improvements. He'll still chase. He'll still go with that right on right slider out of the zone. Can be a little bit of an issue for him, but he's driven the ball uh, to all fields pretty well. It's been really solid contact too. That's the other thing. It's a lot of solid contact. He's barreling way more balls uh, than he ever has. So some real subtle changes. And you know, being around him as you mentioned, and and doing an interview might not surprise you, or, or maybe it will. But when they told him he made the team, I think he signed a one for two and a minor league deal, so he had to make the team in tears. When he found out, guys made over a hundred million dollars in his career, has won a World Series, has played in big markets. Like, you know, he grew up in this area, and he said he used to park cars at the stadium uh, when he was a teenager, which is kind of a cool story. But in tears when uh, they told him he made this team, shows you the passion that he's had, and, and gives you an idea of the work that he was willing to put in to try to make it happen. Yeah, it, it's a wonderful story. Uh, he is thirty six, and what he meant in, in the area we live in, and you know, obviously we can't stand the Giants, but he <laughs> always respected him and doing sure. interviews with him. He's a good, he's good people. So yeah. the fact that what he's doing is it, it's very special. And right now, I think he's got to be the leader in the clubhouse for comeback player of the year by far. I would say so. I mean, there's definitely some good candidates around the league. Um, but, you know, it depends and everyone looks at it differently. Do you have to come back from injury? Is it OK just coming back from a bad season? Uh, but without a doubt, he's making an all-star push, I think, as well. Uh, a couple of guys here, and it's tough to make that all-star team. Uh, but I would say yeah, that's probably a safe bet that uh, he will be a name. Now we're, you know, a little bit more than, I guess, a third of the way through the season. But he absolutely right now would, would be maybe one of those leaders in the clubhouse. Back in your career, mm-hmm. towards the end, you would be getting analytics, you were scared. Moneyball was coming around to be a yeah. little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. Now, everything you want. Yep. I mean, it's it's a thick book. It's a thick menu, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's 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 a uh, it, it's crazy. It's like a cheesecake factory menu. They got more <laughs> stuff than you can think of, right? Yeah. How more do you cheese think pasta every time? How do you think you would uh, deal with with all the analytics? So I would tell you this. So there was a couple little things. What I like first is the idea that. And you got to be careful. We do this in media, too. You can go find something that makes you feel pretty good about yourself, right? I mean, just the idea, like maybe your ERA is not where you'd want it to be. For the longest time, that was the one number we looked up at. And for me, for a lot of those years, it was an ugly number to look up at. And that would bring a, a level of stress to what you're doing, it, that added pressure when you were just looking at ERA. Just the idea that we could have fielding independent pitching to give you a better idea of what's really happening. Let's take your defense out of it. Let's look at the things that you could control. Now, maybe it goes the other direction. Maybe it goes up which tells you a story. I like that. I remember being in Indianapolis uh, in 2006 and the idea that we were even talking about ground ball rate. I think we were doing ground ball ratio at the time before we went the ground ball percentage. And I remember saying, oh, yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job here keeping the ball on the ground. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, makes you feel a little bit better about what's going on because uh, I think as a coach, that's part of your responsibility too is to take a guy who's, you know, it's hard not to be locked in on those traditional numbers. Let me find something that's going to tell a little bit of a different story uh, to help you a little bit when you, maybe you're going through a tough time. Then also, let me be able to go with you with some numbers, things like spin rate are a really good one, to tell you why it's okay to elevate that fastball a little bit more. Because there would be a time, like, I think uh, Chris Young is a good example when he was at the Kansas City Royals. He was one of the first spin rate guys that we talked about in relation to lower velocity, right? He's 88 to 90 miles an hour. Yeah, he's 6'7", and he's got great angle. But if you're throwing 88... You're never thinking, at least during my career and probably before that, oh, yeah, you should elevate. No, at 88, you better keep that ball down and put on the corners. That's what we believed. Well, there'd be times where you'd see these certain guys that didn't throw hard, and they get the ball by guys. And we'd be like, what's that throwing an invisible fastball? Like, how is he getting that by guys? Well, what we know now is those were high spin rate guys. And the idea that once you know that, now you can go in and say, yep, all right, fastball up's okay because I got 2,400 RPMs behind it, and that's going to be tough for guys to barrel. It doesn't matter if it's 89 or 98. So that, that, that to me is really cool. I'd love to know and to be able to go back in time and do those things. You play around with grips on your curveball, I always did, or your slider, whatever it may be, 
And instead of playing around and relying on your catcher's eyes and your coach's eyes, you know, which one looks better? Let me give you five of these and five of that one. I think I like the second one. Like those conversations, those go away immediately. You go, nope, this one's spinning at 2,700 RPMs. Done. That's the grip. And then you go from there to making it as efficient as you can. And, and it just speeds the process up and you're not relying uh, on the human element. Not to say the coaches aren't good. They did everything they possibly could. You'd maybe watch some video. But I am so envious of the cameras and these pitch labs and the idea that these guys can get in now and solve a problem or at least come to a conclusion really quickly. Nope, that pitch has got to go. It's not going to happen. Not at that spin rate. Not at that efficiency. Either we make an adjustment or we move on from it. And you just go. And I just love that. That is the part that I'm probably most jealous about. And I just think it's cool. And these guys are fortunate. And that's why they're as good as they are. Yeah, it's a, it really is a fascinating time in the game. Let's end on this. Because obviously not only what you for the Rangers, but what you do nationally. How do you feel about the opener? And how do you feel about the way pitching is going today? Yeah, I, at first I was a little iffy. Um, but I watched Tampa Bay last year work that thing to perfection. You use the opener, in my opinion, uh, at a necessity. You don't, you don't build a roster going, hey, let's try to get three really good openers in here. No, you, you still want to have really good pitching. You still want the Houston Astros starting staff if you can. Now, if guys are struggling or you realize your four or five starters are legitimate four or five starters, which means they're not, you're not looking at them to go very deep in the game, then I love the opener for those guys because it makes a lot of sense when it's, when it's executed properly. Uh, depending on who you're playing, too, I think matters. Uh, you think about teams that are stacked at the top, right? We take Mike Trout, now we bat him second. Right. That's something that's kind of new to the game. Well, if that's the case, well, let me get my opener in there to face the three or four hitters first, you know, knock those guys out. And then maybe I can take my four or five starter, who is a guy I normally would not want to face the order three times through. Well, he can go face 22 hitters and not have to see that top of the order a third time through. He won't have to see their best hitters, but he can still get me deep in the game. To me, that philosophy uh, makes a ton of sense. I think that's where the opener works best. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you have an opener throw, you know, two innings and he faces eight hitters. But what's the point? Your starter's getting 9-1-2 anyway to kick it off. He's getting those first couple of really good hitters at first inning anyway. So I think use that way. Um, I really like it. It makes sense. Uh, it's amazing to see what these pitchers are doing. Uh, I don't love, and I just got to get over it. I think most of the older guys don't love uh, a lot of the guys getting pulled so early. Because you just love to see it, but that's the way they're trained, right? This is the way that they're brought up through the system. You can't ask a guy that you can't baby a guy in the minor league system you know, like a treat him like a pony and then expect him to be a thoroughbred when he get, when he's facing the best hitters in the world. And that's just where the system is. Stop really preventing injuries. Guys are still getting hurt. Uh, but I get it. They're looking for more. I love that middle relievers are getting appreciated. That's a nice little change of pace. I used to sit down in that bullpen in Detroit, me and Doug Brokale, uh, the, now the pitching coach, he was here last year. Now he's with the Orioles and Todd Jones, who we loved, was the highest paid guy in our bullpen. And I'm down there and I'm thinking to myself, this is 1999, you know, 2000. And I'm going, this guy gets a clean inning every single time, only if we're winning. Me and Doug and the other setup guys, wherever we're doing, we got, we're in, uh, down by two, up by five. We're inheriting runners. I got to come in and face Jim Tomey with the time run on second base. <laughs> I feel like my job's harder. Why does he get paid so much more than I do? And so I like that it, it's finally the game is starting to come around a little bit, and I think appreciate and, and really value uh, what the rest of your bullpen can do outside of your closer. You are so right. You can't win the Kentucky Derby unless you train the horse to right. win the Kentucky Derby. Nobody's trying to be, win the Kentucky Derby, anymore, at least not with one horse. Now they're just trying to do it with the four different horses. Hey, we always appreciate the time. You're one of the best in our business. Thank uh, you so much. And uh, thank you. Have a great call tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. You too. Our last one for you is Sarah Langs from MLB.com. I first found Sarah on the Buster Only podcast. And what she does is she just researches incredible numbers. She worked at ESPN for years. 
And once I started listening to her on Buster's podcast, you just started realizing, wow, how sharp she is and that she digs and digs and digs for these golden nuggets that we love using in baseball. Whether you're doing play-by-play or you're doing a talk show or a pre- or post-game show, this is a sport about numbers. And whenever you can have someone find these special numbers, you, you got to talk to them. So Commander Cody, my producer, I said, hey, we've got to have her on because she's great on air and she's got just the, these numbers that, that you cannot beat. And so we tracked her down and we brought her on Ace Cast Live and she came up with some stuff for Matt Chapman telling you how hard Matt Chapman is hitting the baseball. You got to realize when you see all of these incredible statistics that they have like on the MLB Network. They have a whole division of people that are scouring all the numbers. You know, I, I wish we had a, a, a group that scours the numbers like this, but they have everything on baseball. They've got, they've got like 20 Sarahs. It, it's unbelievable the numbers you're getting from the MLB Network. But here is Sarah Langs, who does a great job for MLB.com. Once again, you can hear on the Buster Only podcast. Here she was coming on the show. You need to follow my next guest on Twitter. She is phenomenal. From MLB.com, Sarah Langs joins us here. Sarah, thank you so much for stopping by. We truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. This is great. Oh, yeah. you know, It's really interesting what we have going here with the A's. We're the only team in Major League Baseball that has a 24-7 streaming station on the TuneIn app, and we're the only team allowed to do it right now. So we're the guinea pig, and, of course, we're the only team that has a live show before we get to our pregame show, which talks all of baseball. So really what we're doing is the future. So you just wait, Sarah. Every team is going to be doing this probably by next year. Well, I love it. Let's make a great impression and convince them that everyone should be doing it. I love it. So you have unbelievable stats, and that's why people should follow you at S. Langs on sports. How do you accumulate all these different great stats? Thank you so much, first of all. I really appreciate it. Sometimes I feel like, I said this to someone the other day, but sometimes I feel like I'm just throwing numbers into the void and, like, I'm so surprised when someone likes a tweet or is actually interested in something, but it all really just comes from the things that interest me. You know, I obviously watch a ton of baseball for my job and I did in my previous job. And I mean, since I was a little kid and there are just so many tools out there and so many of them are, you know, just free and available. Like baseball savant obviously is a huge one. And when I see something or it seems like a pattern, I, I have to know the answer. I can't tell you how many times, especially I've been in the ballpark, as a fan sitting in the stands with my phone and something happens and I just have to look it up on my phone. Like I can't wait till I get home and get to my laptop. I need to know right now. So, you know, that's where it all comes from really. And you're a big Mets fan, right? Yeah. I, uh, I grew up a Mets fan. I did. Uh, I, one of my good examples of looking something up on my phone actually was uh, on May 2nd, Noah Syndergaard had that shutout he threw against the Reds where he also hit a solo home run, and that was the only run of the game. And around the seventh inning, I started getting really curious. You know, like, is he really going to do this? What's it going to be? And I wasn't in the press box that day. I was actually sitting in the stands, and I started doing on Baseball Reference. I'd compare about three different lists because you can't search a pitcher hitting and pitching in the same game finder. You have to do two things. That sounds more complicated than it is, but I needed to look up three things at once, and I was going back and forth, and writing little notes in my notes app and I figured it out before he uh, completed it and he did complete it. So it was worth the, worth the time. 
You are the best. <laughs> you are the best. <laughs> so Matt Chapman, you've been looking up Matt Chapman, and Matt Chapman, we get to see him every day, and there's no question in my mind he's one of the best players in the game. Offensively, defensively, he's a real special kid. But you're seeing a big power surge from him. Yeah, you know, I think you're so lucky, obviously, that you get to see him every day. And I always stay up for the West Coast games, but I think it's so great you get to see him in person every day. And I think that his offense is really being underlooked, especially this season. He has the second hardest, hard hit, highest hard hit rate, excuse me, uh, of any third baseman this year. Anthony Rendon, obviously, if you check out the StatCast leaderboards on, ba- on uh, Baseball Savant's website, he's crushing the ball. But Matt Chapman has a 49% hard hit rate which is second among third basemen. And you think about what he's doing for that position and all of the defense that we already know and basically just take for granted with him these days. It's not just that he's crushing the ball, though. It's, it's everything. So he's got 16 home runs in 61 games. His career high was 24 last year. So, you know, barring something catastrophic, he's definitely going to crush that. And his expected stats are up, which is really interesting to me and means a lot. So, we have expected slugging percentage and expected batting average, which are basically based on quality of contact. And then the expected batting average will also factor in strikeouts. His expected slugging percentage right now is 530. It was 433 last year when he had a pretty good offensive season. So that just shows you how much he's improved. And his expected batting average is up a bunch too. And strikeout rate is down. So it just feels like he's doing everything. He's making really good contact, really solid contact. It's helping the team and really helping us dad. So I'm down here in Anaheim right now as the A's are finishing up a three-game set with the Angels, and I just think about the athletes that are in this game. I mean, we saw Matt Chapman score last night on a wild pitch where he's diving it at first. He's a terrific athlete. Mike Trout is arguably the best guy we've ever seen. Uh, Shohei Otani at 6'4", how fast he is. And what I've kind of we're seeing just one of the most unique players we've ever seen in the history of the game. You know, I know there were people saying, oh, you know, baseball's losing people to the NFL and they're losing athletes. I, there's so many great athletes in this game. And I'm thinking of the guys here tonight. We have some superb athletes playing. For sure. And with Otani, it's his speed, but it's also his hard hit rate. You know, he and Mike Trout are the two guys on that team who just absolutely crushed the ball. When you talk about home runs with a 110 plus mile an hour exit velocity and anything kind of like that hard hit rate, obviously Otani missed some time, but if you just look at kind of the counting stats and I I think baseball has some of the absolute best athletes. I, I, I do think ultimately I go to hockey, but that's like an entirely different conversation. And those aren't the same guys. I don't think anyone's missing anybody. I just don't understand how you skate around for that long, even though their shifts are two minutes, but my favorite thing when we talk about athletes in baseball, and you guys, obviously, uh, Dallas Braden is there with you guys a lot, I'm sure, doing those uh, CSA in California uh, broadcasts, and he always screams athlete, you know, when a pitcher uh, hits a home run or something, and that's one of my absolute favorite things in baseball. It's one of these weird things where, as someone who's so involved in these statistics, I know that there should be a DH in both leagues, and obviously you guys see that every day with an American League team, but I get it. But there's just nothing better for me than sitting in the stands or sitting in the press box and seeing a pitcher hit a home run. And yesterday, you know, another Bay Area player, yesterday I was at uh, City Field and Madison Bumgarner was hitting these second deck batting practice home runs. 
at the end of BP. Like, everybody's done, and he's just there hogging the cage until they're done with it. And he hit, like, six home runs, and, like, three of them went to the second deck. And you just can't tell me that there aren't great athletes in baseball because he was doing that the day after having a pretty good start, too. Yeah, it always kind of drives me nuts. I'm an ex-pitcher, a college pitcher, but, of course, whenever people say pitchers aren't athletes, I'm like, are you kidding me? Pitchers, big league pitchers, were the best players in high school. They usually played shortstop. They, they, you know, so it's like Mark Langston, who's here, he went to San Jose State just like I did. Mark Langston was like the top soccer player in all of the Bay Area when he was a kid and one of the best pitchers. So it's always like, stop it when you say pitchers aren't athletes. And the other guy that's with the Giants that's very impressive is the shark Jeff Samarja? You watch him take yeah. BP. Obviously, he could have played in the NFL as a great wide receiver at a Notre Dame. Did you get to see him take BP? Because he launches them too. He didn't, but you know who did was Drew Pomerantz, and that kind of surprised me. But he uh, he made some good contact. I don't know if he hit any out, but no, Samarja wasn't hitting yesterday, unfortunately. So I'll have to wait for another uh, Giant series to see that. So yesterday we had dual openers here at the Big A. Uh, and, of course, Tampa used one again today, and it worked again. My audience, for some reason, hates the opener. What's your thought on the opener? You know, I have a lot of opinions about this. So when the Rays started doing this just about a year ago, and they made a big deal of it, and Sergio Romo was the first guy they were using, you know, everyone was so against it. And obviously, you know, it comes from different places. And I think a lot of people may have thought the Rays were doing it in part because they just didn't quite have enough starters. But ultimately, I just don't think, I don't think it's worth getting so up in arms about because the truth is that if you're winning the game, I, I don't see why it matters. You know, you can't really execute it correctly unless you have a really good bullpen. So I think part of what's turned some people off to it is that we've seen some teams try to do it when they don't really have the bullpen pieces to back it up. Because I think the most important part of the opener is actually the guy who comes in next. Because usually when you're doing an opener as opposed to a bullpen game, you know, if we try to differentiate that, that second guy is going to go like four innings. So he's almost more important. You need someone to come in and hopefully a one, two, three inning, limit the damage, or maybe two innings. But it's that next guy. I think someone, I saw someone talking on Twitter about calling that person like the main event or something, (laughs) you know, that you have the opener and then you get to like the actual show. And so that person's still not making a start. They're still not throwing six or seven innings, but they're really the steadying force that's keeping the game, you know, in hand. And I think what we've seen is that some teams in almost like a desperation move have gone to try to do this and they, they don't have that guy, you know, and all of a sudden you're getting a reliever per inning and you're in trouble by the ninth. And if your starter gets lit up the next day, you're in a lot of trouble when it works, which it works for the Rays. I think the A's have the bullpen pieces to do it right now. I have no issue with it. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. It's something different. You know, I wonder how we're going to look back on it in 50 years, but it's fun. Well, you're speaking my language because you could look at the game last night for the, the Athletics. Joaquin Soria started the game. He did give up a run, but then Daniel Mingdon came in after that. Now, Daniel Mingdon's supposed to give you, as you said, length, four, five innings to get you to your quality bullpen pieces, but instead he goes two and a third innings, and he gives up six runs, and next thing you know, the, the Halos are right back in this thing. So, yeah, not only does – the, the opener got to get you, you hope, for a clean inning. It's the guy after. He's now got to give you length. 
Yeah, and and that's where you run into trouble because a lot of times that guy is the same guy you're saving as your long man in the bullpen. And then all of a sudden, if he comes in and he gets lit up, then you're really in trouble and you're in these one inning per and it's not it's not going well. But I mean, I saw, you know, I, I covered the Yankees a decent amount and I covered the first start where they used Chad Green as an opener while Paxton was still on the injured list and so was Susie Sabathia. And, you know, he actually he gave up a run, I think, the first two times he did it. But then they brought in guys like Nestor Cortez Jr. And I can't remember who else, but they were able to steady it. And the Yankees won those games. So it's just I, I think that the focus is almost on the wrong guy. You know, like it's not the opener you have an issue with. It's who do you bring in next and do you have that guy? Well, and you mentioned the Yankees, and let's end on this. Is it just amazing what they have done with all of their injuries? For them to be where they are, it's pretty shocking. I, I, I am shocked by it every single day. So I was telling people this early in the season, the first, like, four or five Yankees games I covered this year, someone got hurt. I covered the game where Judge got hurt. I covered the game where they put Paxton on the injured list. I covered the game where... Uh, Tulowitzki got hurt, and I also covered one other. I can't remember who it was, but it, and, and yet they were winning, you know? And I think it's a huge testament to Brian Cashman and the group he's put together because I do think that even when they signed guys like DJ LeMayu, you were thinking, well, they don't even need him. What are they doing? And he's been huge for them. He's been clutch for them. Guys like Gio Urshela, which you didn't think anything of. And, I mean, I've seen him get, like, two go-ahead hits in the ninth inning, I think. And even, like, Tyro Estrada is coming through for them. But, you know, I also want to give a lot of credit to Aaron Boone. I think that he's managed that group um, and really kept them, you know, they have this next man up mentality. You know, I think we see it a lot in kind of the Patriots thing, right? Like, we see it with kind of other sports, but they're really, really, you know, preaching that. And it's helped them so much. I could talk to you all day. We could <laughs> do this all so day. <laughs> hey, we really appreciate the time, and we got to have you on again soon. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, that will do it for this edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be putting another one together while we're here in Tampa and on our way back to the Bay Area, and it's going to be a, a special week as once we get back, the A's are going to have a, a long homestand, and oh yeah, the U.S. Open out at Pebble Beach is going to be absolutely fabulous, and hopefully when we return on Wednesday night, we'll be talking about the athletics being over 500 again after this long and crazy road trip. Major League Baseball is crazy. There's nothing like it. You play every day. You travel all around the country. You see all these different cities. It's a traveling circus, but I can tell you what a circus it is. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 